a typical rangefinder is going to send out one giant pulse of energy. Imagine it's like sending out a softball of energy. It bounces off the target and you're hoping to get back like something the size of a, of a peak, for example. Well, we do it different. Like we send pulses in a, in a set signal. So it's almost like a signature goes out of, you know, pulse, 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 pulse. And we're looking for that exact signature to come back. So we know that the signature we sent is the one that we received. So by doing that, we're able to range through those more challenging environments uh, using that method. <clears throat> so in the rain, it's not a problem out to distances you want to shoot. In the fog, if you can see it, you can range it. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. I'm in a unique position in that I will get to host today, and I am joined by some of the Garmin team, and we're here to talk about the Garmin Zero. So we have Chad and Rayhan from Garmin, and I'm also joined by Hoyt engineer Daniel and Selmo. How are we doing, guys? Awesome. Thanks for having us, Evan. Great oh, to be here with you. A pleasure and we are we are here to talk about obviously the the zero pro site so we get asked a lot of questions is the site worth it um you know what kind of features what are the benefits you know why why should i take something i already have you know what's this truly going to do for me um let's start answering some of those questions you know what what are some of these these features um what are the benefits that you guys have seen in the field and we'll kind of go through those and, and talk about some of the consumer questions that, that Dan and I hear a lot of and kind of put guys' minds to ease and, and really persuade them on what this site has for capabilities and abilities for them in the field. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, to start that, we would we should back it up to 2018 when we launched the first version of the site. So ATA, January 2018, we, we come out with the A1 and the A1i uh, zero bow site. And so, you know, it's a range finding site. Uh, the idea is that you, you know, you align it to your eye so that at full draw, you're looking basically through like a pin that you could use to shoot. We call that the primary pin. And you set that inside of a reticle and you do that by manipulating the sight head with some um, curved rails. And you get that all lined up. And then essentially at full draw, you can range, you know, your target. And then the pin for that exact distance and angle is going to drop in below. Uh, and then you just, you know, put the pin on the, on the target and, and squeeze the trigger. I mean, it's, it's that literally that simple. Um, so, you know, it blew a lot of people's minds at the show that year when we had a really busy booth. Uh, a lot of people would come by and, you know, it's, this is something, you know, we've always wanted. And, you know, the idea wasn't really novel. I mean, there was others that were in the space trying to do it. It's just, it's the execution of, of putting it all together in a package that's easy to use, uh, you know, and the, the ruggedness and the robustness that, you know, an archery hunter expects. Mm -hmm. yep. So with those range finding features, is it just a range finding single pin only, or is there other modes and methods of using that for your range finding site or drop pins or things like that? Yep. No, that's a great question. We get this a lot too, because you know, the, the first hesitation most people have is, well, it's an electronic and an electronic can fail. And what I typically tell people is I've not seen one ever fail so catastrophically that you couldn't finish a hunt. And what I mean by that is, 
you know, if it turns on at the truck, it's going to work. And what we've done is we allow you to set up fixed pins with the site. So with the tap of a, the trigger button or a tap of a back button on the, the head unit of the site, you can switch between your range pin and your fixed pins. And you can set those up to be 20 through 80 or however, however far you can shoot the site. Uh, typically what I'll do is I'll just set, I mean, it's a range finding site. You're going to want to range with it, right? So I'll usually just set up a 25 yard fixed pin and that's my get out of jail pin where it's like, if something happens so fast, I don't have time to range anything inside of 30. You know, I think I can make that shot quickly with a 25 yard pin, aim low high, aim low low. It's going to end up, you know, in the wheelhouse. Um, but the ability to basically switch back and forth between fixed pins. So you don't have to range. You can just, you know, flip over to fixed. You can also, use you know the left and right buttons on the top you can dial up whatever fixed pin or whatever pin you want so let's say for example daniel's behind you and you got some elk coming in and you can't get he's able to range it from his angle and you can't and you just want to have the pin ready for the shot he could take a range with the traditional range finder tell you you know evans 56 and you could just dial up 56 yards and have that pin ready to go if the elk presents itself at 56 you send it if something happens craziness goes on you know just range it like you would normally with use of the site, get the new pin and, you know, let it rip. Yes. Kind of added to what Chad said there. One of the things that when you read about it, we say like one year, but one of the numbers that I like throwing out is up to 25,000 ranges. Right. And it's like, that kind of puts it in a little bit of perspective of that thing's not going to fail. And like Chad said, if it turns on at the truck, you're good to go. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things that, you know, Dan and I were talking earlier. One of the biggest things that we hear about first thing, it's electronic. What's the battery life? Like how long is this thing really going to last? Like, is it going to go down on me in the middle of a hunt? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just not, that just doesn't happen. I mean, we, we warn you when the batteries start to get too low and if they, and if you ignore those warnings, like that can, that could happen if you continue to ignore those warnings, but essentially the range finder takes way more power than the LEDs that turn on. So you can get into a state where you've ignored all these battery warnings and will finally tell you that the battery is too low to range, which at that point, you've got a fixed pin, single pin site. You just don't have the ranging capabilities, but you can still hunt. Mm -hmm. You also can pack two batteries in your backpack. <laughs> right. I, mean, I, I always carry a spare, but I've, uh, I think I got the new site before I changed batteries in the first one. So yeah. the battery just does not wear out. I can, I've had a lot of experience with that. Yeah, I mean, you do want to use the lithiums, the energizer lithiums, just because they have better cold weather performance and, you know, they, they're just, they're just very robust batteries. You know, I've never, I mean, alkalines will get you by in a pinch and you have to be hunting in some pretty seriously cold conditions for those not to work. But, you know, if you put the lithiums in there, you'll probably be replacing them before you ever even get a low battery warning. Now, the one thing that would happen, I think made people a little bit worried. It's like at ATA uh, that year, like we had these sites on bow risers and people were ranging and just riding that trigger. And what that, if you, if you know anything about batteries, a battery is kind of like a muscle, right? So you start to like work that battery. It's like doing a hundred pushups like maybe you can do a hundred pushups, but you can't immediately do a hundred pushups right after that. You got to rest. And if you rest for you know 20 minutes, you can go do a hundred more. So you didn't really deplete your body all that much. You just, you know, depleted it in the moment. So, and that's not a typical use case that happens in hunting where you're just 
you know, range, 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 and, and the site doesn't get a break. So does, does it have a continuous range mode where if I, if I continue to hold the button down as an animal's moving, it will continue to change that range as I'm walking with him? Or is it just a one touch and drop pin? And then if I need to rearrange because an animal's moved, I've got to do it again. Right. So we, we're a press and hold range finder. So you'll have a trigger that you'll mount on the front of your riser from the grip. Um, and when you press and hold, you initiate the range finder and it ranges the whole time that you're, you know, pushing the trigger in. Once you let go, that stops the range finding. Uh, we then understand what the range is to the target. And then we calculate what pin you need and we present that pin to you. If you were to tap that button, then you're going to switch over to fixed pins if you have them set up. Okay. And, you know, there's no reason to leave pins on just burning power. So if let's say you range an elk at 30 and his uh, his vitals are obstructed. And so you're holding, you're holding, you're holding. And all of a sudden, like if your pin's about to time out, we'll flash. And so you'll know that it's going to time out at that point, a tap resets the timer on the site so that your pin doesn't time out. If it does time out and your, and your, your um, window goes blank, you just tap again and it'll bring it right back up to where it was. And so you can set those timers for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, five minutes. Nice. Nice. So you, you do truly have the capabilities of running this as a straight up single pin, a single movable pin or a range stack pin. Yes. So, so when it comes to the range stack, I'm assuming it, changes based on your speed what can most guys let's say average speed 280 feet per second what are most guys looking at the capability in range from 20 to how far can you expect to probably see in that non xd mode which we'll talk about here in a minute yep. how many, how so many I'm, pins are you going to get yes yeah, so i'm a 27 inch draw on a 62 63 pound rx7 and i'm getting like i don't know my arrow set up like right around 268, 270 feet per second. I can get, I can get out to 85, no problem, almost 90. And then yeah, XD mode, which we can talk about, like that lets you move your site housing down. I can get an extra five to 10 yards out of that, depending on how aggressive I want to be. And, you know, with the fletching clearance. Okay. So the XD mode is extra distance and it's, it's inputting basically a scale into your system where when you move that down, you input another scale from that site into the unit and it recalibrates your stack, correct? Yep. So let's just say, so this is a feature that's only available on the A1i Pro, which, you know, we can get into like what we brought in, we, you know, brought in with the A1i Pro, but it's got micro adjustable rails and they're marked. So with XD mode, you know, we, we would ask you like, Hey, if you're going to set this up, tell us where your home position is on your rail. And it's like, oh, I'm at, you know, Mark 37. And then it's like, okay, now dial down the site, move the site housing down. And now tell us what, what new position you're at, which still provides fletching clearance. And when you do that, let's say it's, I don't know, 57. So then we know that that's 20 marks down below. And then we were able to basically say, okay, he moved his site window down this far. So his 50 yard pin, it doesn't change in space where it's at, but it changes where we present it to you within the housing. If that makes sense. Like a, the site is literally just a window to 
virtual pins based off how your bow shoots. And so we're just showing you, we're just basically, if you imagine like we're just moving a window up and down. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, Daniel, you've got kind of an interesting story on dropping those fixed pins from one of your elk hunts where you were, you were ready to range, but didn't necessarily need to do that because of the encounter. Yeah. Um, I was in, I think it was 2020. I had a Wyoming elk tag and this bull was coming in pretty hot, <clears throat> kind of open country. Well, it was timber, but it was kind of open. And, you know, I picked him up to my right and he was going to be close. So instead of bothering with ranging, I just clicked the button one more time and had my fixed pins in because it wasn't going to matter. <laughs> right. So it was just, but, you know, I've heard some questions from people asking me about the site, like, well, what if you can't get it to range, you know, I'm nervous about that ranging situation. Well, some situations you don't need it, you know? So uh, it's like Chad had mentioned, it's really easy to tap the button and go over to your fixed pins, which you're really used to as a traditional boat hunters, we've had, you know, just fixed pins for a long time. So in that moment, I was like, I don't want to bother with ranging because he was moving. I'm just like, I'm going to put all my pins on him and shoot. And I shot him at like 10 yards broadside. But, you know, that was just a specific situation that the, it just shows how versatile the site is. So people don't need to be hung up on, you know, can I range? It's, it's really simple to go back and forth between the two modes. Um, and, and it works well. Okay. That's a so, good point that, you know, it's a good opportunity to like, I get this question all the time of like, well, how does it range in the rain or how does it range in the fog? So if you understand that a range finder is using, you know, light that's traveling at the speed of light, when you, when you send a pulse that bounces off a target, like it's traveling so much, so much faster than, than the raindrops coming down. Like it basically just cuts through it and comes right back, you know, and you're also sending multiple pulses. So that's the difference with our rangefinder too. That's where maybe people have had some struggles. And so they question how our technology works, but a typical rangefinder is going to send out one giant pulse of energy. Like a, imagine it's like sending out a softball of energy. It bounces off the target and you're hoping to get back like something the size of a, of a P for example. Well, we do a different, like we send pulses in a, in a set signal. So it's almost like a signature goes out of, you know, pulse, 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 pulse. And we're looking for that exact signature to come back. So we know that the signature we sent is the one that we received. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, we're able to range through those more challenging environments uh, using that method. <clears throat> so in the rain, it's not a problem out to distances you want to shoot. In the fog, if you can see it, you can range it. So, I mean, it's just, a, you know, now you've got like all this condensation in the air, but you can cut through that. As long as you can see the target, you should be able to get a range on it. Uh, then the other question I get a lot is well, what happens when the lens fogs up and two, three things, actually one, it's got like a, it's an anti-fog coating on there. Number two, you've got like the front and back barrels that are protecting that housing from or the lens from precipitation but really the biggest thing is that fog on a scope for example is created because the air temperature inside the scope probably matches ambient air temperature and you're breathing on the scope or your body heat is outside the scope and so you've got two different air temperatures coming together that's what creates mm -hmm. condensation with our with the site that lens is you know out there at arm's length the air temperature on either side of the site or the lens is the same 
So it's not going to fog up. And if it does, like the water is just going to beat up and run down. I've never had an issue where I had any condensation on the wings just for those reasons. Yeah. I, I haven't had any water issues. I've had rain on it because it's been raining, but mm-hmm. that's going to be on anything. And you can still see your pin. So I'm able to still use the site even in moisture conditions. So, yeah, it's, it's IPX seven. So, I mean, you could stick it in a bucket of water for a half an hour and a meter depth and it would be fine. Uh, I mean, we, people ask, was well, it durable? I mean, we, we have, you know, fancy vibe tables and things we use here and, and sensors that we can track vibration profiles from, from the worst bows in the market. So obviously not always, but um you know, so we'll put it through like 30,000 cycles at the worst vibration profile we've seen, you know, and if it doesn't pass that, it doesn't go out. So, I mean, there's, there's no need to worry about those types of things. Like it's, it's, if it says Garmin on it, like we do all that work to make sure that the customer is going to have a good experience. You can trust our products. And that's not just the bow site. That's an inReach. That's a watch. That's anything that, that we put our name on. So, so when it comes to Basically, the characteristics and the vibration. Um, you know, Daniel and I were talking, was it about two years ago, a year and a half ago? Um, and you had you had done some work on your bow and forgotten to put something on. And the Garmin actually told you, because of how it was reading, that that piece was missing. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're often testing different things in my role here product testing all the time. So I was on and off with a, it was actually a stealth shot, which I mean, sometimes you can tell when those are on or off anyway, but I went and had been shooting my bow and with the first, you know, version of the Garmin side on there. And I had just was noting on the shot dynamics, you know, the amount of milliseconds that that thing vibrates over a certain G level. Chad could probably speak to that a little more, but it's just, it's giving you an idea of how the system is vibrating. And I noticed the time went up by like 20 or 30%. And I was like, that's different. What's going on? I looked down. I was like, oh, you know, I'm actually missing a component of my bow. So if something starts to get loose on your bow, whether it's your sight, your quiver, a stabilizer, the shot dynamics can actually pick that up and indicate that, hey, you need to tighten something up. And I've experienced that firsthand. So, (laughs) yeah, the sight can't tell the intensity of the vibration we can only tell how long it lasts and so you know if you're normally running in the 60 or 70 millisecond range which is you know 60 thousandths of a second and all of a sudden now you're at you know over 100 there's something that is definitely different mm-hmm. so so it's interesting that i mean just that site has the ability to like give you that instant feedback that something is off and i mean like you said in milliseconds that that shouldn't be there because that's not where I typically am. Again, if you are paying attention to the data, that's being able to have that presence for you. Correct. Yep. So, um, one of the things that I personally like about it is the flight apex mode. I think Daniel's more the dynamic leveling guy. Um, I prefer flight apex and you can only use one or the other ones when it comes to those two features, what is flight apex and how do you guys, how do you like to describe it versus the dynamic leveling? And then what are your guys' preferences between those two features? Okay. So I'll start and I'll, so flight apex is basically when you would range a target and then drops a pin down, 
whatever your ranged pin color is. So we're talking A1i Pro features now. So everything we talk about from here on out will be A1i Pro, which would be all the new stuff that we brought in. But um, so let's say your range pin is green. We are going to flat slow blink a red pin at the maximum height the arrow is going to achieve on its flight to the target. So that's what Flight Apex does. Dynamic level um, does kind of two things. First thing it does is it puts your level inside your uh, field of view. So it's we we display LEDs on the lens that are telling you if your if your cam your we call it the left cam is your left cam tilted left or your left cam tilted right, and we flash pins based on that. And you can set that to either be inline or offset. And I think Daniel's preference is offset. I like inline. So what that means is that like right above and below my ranged pin, if I am so far off level that I'm going to produce a bad shot, the LEDs will appear and they will blink. If I'm level, I don't see anything but the ranged pin. So it gives me that confidence that, hey, this thing's not blinking at me. I'm good to go. Um, and then we increase the sensitivity the farther out the shot is. So, you know, if you're taking a 20-yard shot, you can, you can roll your bow quite a bit and your arrow is still going to hit generally where you want. But you mm-hmm. get out to 60, 70, we make that a level more and more sensitive the further you go back because it matters more at those distances. So I think Daniel's going to say he likes the offset version. Absolutely. I just, I don't, one of the, and the reason I like the offset one is one of my favorite features of the site in general is that there is one pin and how clean my site picture is because growing up shooting like four or five pins, like just seeing the animal or seeing your target, sometimes the other pins are in the way of, of references you're using. So that single pin, I like it so much that I didn't want anything near it, but I do like the dynamic level in that I just last week shot a deer at 60 yards on a steep uphill and it worked great. Cause I, it, there were moments in that shot sequence where that was blinking at me heavily <laughs> and going, you're, you're not ready to take this shot. So um, I like that it's there because traditionally before Garmin, I mean, I would check my bubble, but once you check it off mentally, you never look back at it in my experience. So you like, you check the box, you go. And if you're in that shot a long time, your bow will drift out to the downhill side typically, and you'll miss right and left. So I really like the dynamic level. And I like that it's more forgiving at shorter distances because it doesn't matter. But on those longer shots, you need to take your time and make sure it's not telling you to, you know, Hey, get this thing squared up. Yeah. That's the, the merging of the, the whitetail hunter needs with the elk hunter needs because you know with the whitetail you know you know trotting down the trail like you may not have very long and you don't need these pins coming up flash and like warning you know it's this close shot you just want to you know execute the shot and send it but if you're holding back at 50 or 60 yards like that's the one arrow you get and you can't that's the thing about arrows. You can't get them back. Right. Like, yeah. You want to make sure that before you, before you squeeze, like everything was where you want it to be. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that, that feature, but Dan, I'll, uh, um, credit you with the offset version. So we were just coming out with the, the inline and you're like, Hey man, you're going to give me target panic. If you don't give me the option <laughs> to get this thing a little bit off my pin. And so that's the Daniel feature for sure. 
Yeah, and so just to explain that, maybe people don't understand the difference between offset and so the one that Chad's referring to, it's there was the the blinking light that was indicating that the bow had is no longer level was really close to the pin you're trying to use. And then the offset version, it moves it to the top or the body bottom, depending on if you've got a long pin in there, it'll put it, the LEDs at the top telling you out. And if you're shooting a close pin, I think it puts it at the bottom. So it just leaves a cleaner sight picture for me, the offset one, so that there's nothing right next to my pin that I'm using to try to aim. And then uh, the other version is it's just a lot closer to the pin you're, it's displaying for you. Yep. Gotcha. It's, it's distracting, but it's supposed to be right. Cause yeah. just, if it's really blinking, I mean, you can still send the arrow, but you're <laughs> not shooting. You're not putting, you know, the optimal release into it for sure. Yep. This I'm going to second the uh, dynamic level and, but kind of for a different reason, I'm, I consider myself more of like an average archer. Right. And one of the things that I've always just wholly appreciated and talked with Chad about so much is like with the level, with everything about it, I realize that thing is so precise and it is trying to help me so much that it's a constant form check. And I know that it's, it's me. Like I have such confidence in that site where it's something's wrong. I know it's me. It's not the site. Um, Yeah. Uh, I want to put add a little story to that too. The the first year I think I had had a an Arizona Kaibab tag, so an archery deer tag down in Arizona uh, on the north rim of the Grand Canyon, and I had found this water hole, and I was like, "Oh, sweet! I'm going to set up a ground blind." There's nobody using this water hole. I had a ground blind with me, so I go back to camp, and I'd been shooting all summer with the Garmin. And every time I draw that thing back, it had kind of coached me on my form of getting that reticle lined up. And I'd gotten pretty good at that reticles lined up every single time. So I decided I'm going to practice off of a stool out of a ground line at camp before I set this thing up. And when I sat down, I could not get that reticle in for probably took me 25 minutes to figure out what had changed in my form that resulted in what I was seeing. So I knew, just like you said, um, that it was me and I worked at it and I had to apply pressure differently. And I, part of the reason I knew that is I'd stand back up and shoot and the reticles lined up. I'd set back down and it wasn't. And that was very eye-opening for me. I've been shooting archery a long time and you sat down and cut arrows loose. And the thing is your field points will still hit the same. But when you put a fixed blade broadhead on and that reticle's not in, you're going to get some squirrely flight. And so that's one of the things that it coaches you every time you shoot to tweak your form in to keep it consistent. Um, another comment on that is Jeremy L that works with you guys. He talks like, hey, when I put a glove on, it tells me how to adjust my form for the glove. I mean, it's that sensitive and and you should listen to that reticle. It's, it's telling you how to get that bow to do the same thing every single time. Yeah. So that's, you know, interesting in, in the Midwest, you got guys shooting all summer and starting to shoot in September, October, you know, it'll be, you know, 70 degrees, 60 degrees. You're not wearing gloves. And then, you know, they're, they're dialed, they're ready to go to put the, uh, you know, for, for whitetail in November, you know, the rut or something it's cold, they put gloves on. You know, I've had all kinds of comments like, Hey, this thing is, this reticle is moving on me. And, you know, at first we tried to chase it down, like, Oh, do we have a quality problem? But, you know, 
ultimately no. what we've discovered is like that thing is locked down inside that housing. It's not going to move. <laughs> What's moving is, is your form or you're changing your anchor point, you're changing your grip pressure. And I don't know, I, I shoot without gloves just for that reason. Cause I want to take, I want to take the same kind of shot you know, in November that I took in September when I felt really good, really good about it. So, uh, but, but I hadn't, you know, considered the fact, I usually just tell people that you need to, you need to sight the bow in with the, with the gear you're going to wear when you hunt. But, you know, to, uh, to L's point, you could just put the glove on after you've shot barehanded and you can, you would basically be able to, to tweak and manipulate to get back to barehand form with the glove on. Yep. Yeah. Or, you know, like in my situation, it's like teach myself how to put different pressure into the boat to account for me setting versus standing. You know, it was definitely different. I had to, you know, it was my front hand pressure and how hard I was pulling. I just wasn't pulling as hard. So it, it was, it was a vertical alignment. It wasn't a side to side. It was, you know, it was falling out. And so once I corrected that, then it ended up working out well for me. I think uh, Kevin, Kevin at the office there shared a story with me from, I think it was last year about maybe, you know, it. I'm sure you guys like know each other's like archery stories by heart, but something about a mule deer and he was kind of in a ditch and he drew back and his reticle was not right. And it was like this immediate indicator to him, like, this is not going to result in what I want if I take this shot. And he let down and drew back, got it right. And yeah, that's, that sounds correct. He's, it was his first mule deer. So he's uh, kind of a, I think he's been a little over a year working here at Hoyt and he was last year on the extended season. And yeah, that's pretty much the story is he drew back and it, the reticle was so far out that he's like, Whoa, I mean, he was hiking hard, you know, steep terrain. All of a sudden he draws back. And if he just shot that thing, it probably would have got, you know, maybe wounded that deer. Instead, he trusted that reticle, got it lined up and made a great shot on the buck and killed his first mule deer. So he was pretty stoked. Uh, yeah, for sure. That's so, what's so interesting about the reticle is that that is a, as just a byproduct of our design of how do you aim this rangefinder? And so if you think, if you think about it, I've done this on a few podcasts, but I don't know if I talk about this a lot, but essentially what you see when you look through the site, it's, it's, it's kind of like two optical illusions. So one illusion is that these LEDs shine into um, into the lens and they and they bounce off the lens and they reflect back towards your eye and that that pin generally looks like it's in your housing to to your eye, but the reticle, the way we bounce it around and do some things inside there, it's actually optically projected about half a meter in front of you. So if you think about it, it's kind of like lining up rifle sights where. You got your rear sight, which is the pin, and you got your front sight, which is the reticle. And so, you know, if just like shooting a rifle, if you don't have your rear and front sights lined up, meaning you don't have your pin perfectly placed inside the reticle, you're not, your eye is not aligned to the rest of your pins like it, you would want it to be to take that shot. And I've, and I've never even thought about the way that the reticle itself was projected, but I can definitely see like the way it always looks more distant mm -hmm. from the in relation to the pins. Cool. Yep. That's exactly what's going on. But again, we didn't do that as a way to say, this is going to really help archers with their form. We did that as a way to say, this is how, so that pin and that reticle are then aligned to the laser transmitter. And so, yep. you know, an interesting feature about our site too, is that 
you can range at rest because all you have to do is line up the pin and the reticle while you're squeezing the button. You don't have to be at full draw. If you're lined up visually, you can range whatever you want. But that whole alignment process is so critical to the actual shooting form. It's just a huge uh, benefit that uh, we didn't even plan on. But I think yeah. that's what makes everybody a better shooter when they use it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, I use it. Uh, I have mine on. I just turn it on fixed when I'm paper tuning my bow each year, because then I know that I am breaking the same shot every time. And then I can trust what's the results through the paper. And it makes the tuning process much quicker. Just having that feature. I like the sound of that. I haven't, I haven't tried the paper tuning aspect of it. I'm going to have to go back and redo that. Yeah. Just turn that reticle on and then go through your normal process. But then you, you just will be more consistent through paper. And then it just makes the whole process quicker and more efficient. Uh, then that's a really good point too is because what are you paper tuning typically it's when you get a new bow right which is unfamiliar to you and you haven't it hasn't been that you know extra appendage of your body for months and months of shooting it it's like brand new it's going to take a little bit of time to get for your hand to get familiar with how it wants to to hold that absolutely Um, so between flight apex and the dynamic leveling and we've talked about the the ranging pins and, and what your drop pin is. We've only really mentioned red and green LEDs. Most bow hunters are used to red fibers, green fibers, and yellow. Those are the three dominant ones. And some guys are blue. Red and green are the only current options for LED colors, correct? Yep. Those. So, so when it comes to setting those, do you as the archer have infinite options when it comes to setting your drop pin but also setting the individual pin color when you have your full pin stack so i could drop all green or all red or i could interchange each pin's led as i want it to stack up correct yeah any any pin can be any color you want and you can choose what you want your ranging color pin to be uh you can also choose what so there's ranging or so while you have the pin you know, up and inside the reticle. I think, I think you can change that. I'm not quote me on that one though. I, we might actually force you to use red, but it I, seems I, like. I think that one stays red because the reticle itself is green. Yeah. It would, the contrast. It would get, yes, you're correct. Um, it would get a little weird because if that pin was showing right around like a, the green edge of the reticle, you wouldn't really know. So, so the ranging pin and the reticle stay green. Uh, and then beyond that, when we drop the pin for you to shoot, that can be either red or green. You get to select that. And then as far as your fixed pins go, those can be set at whatever distances you want and whatever ranges you want. So like I said, I set a 25. So my, my ranged pin is green. So after I get done ranging, it's going to drop a green pin in for me. My 25 yard fixed pin is red. That way I know if it's red, it's always 25. Always. If it's green, it's based off the, the number that I got from the range. Yep. <laughs> It's an interesting way to do it. Okay, cool. I like that. I got to go play with mine a whole lot more now. Already yeah. just. <laughs> well, and you can turn on any number of fixed pins, right? So you can, uh, often when I'm elk hunting, I have a different fixed pin stack than when I'm deer hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, yep, exactly. I will turn on a, a 20 and a 50 for elk hunting because there's a, a trick, kind of a, they call it a trick pin system out there. And I think Evan, you've covered it in 
uh, a little a video, but you can essentially set up a 50 pin that anything up to about 42 yards will hit about 12 inches high. It's all just based on your perspective of how close you are. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't know on elk, cause they got a big enough kill zone, that as soon as it crosses under 40, I can switch to fixed pins if it's happening fast and put the 50 pin in the bottom of his chest cavity and you'll kill that elk every time. Yep. You don't even need a pin. So, yep. And that the, the trick pin system, I'm glad you mentioned that, Daniel. That's actually something that had really allowed me mentally to do a lot more single pin stuff. Um, and that's how I killed my bull in 19 was I had my sight set in, in that situation. It was at 50 yards. I didn't know where this bull was going to show up. And I knew if he was anywhere from 50 out, he was dead. I just had to put the pin where I was comfortable in that, that system. Mm-hmm. So, but so I know a lot of guys always talk about having different arrow setups for different species. Cause you had mentioned I have a different pin stack for elk than I have for deer. I know a lot of guys that do the same for arrows. They have a heavier setup for elk because they want, you know, better momentum, greater kinetic energy for penetration. Um, but they may shoot a faster setup for antelope or whitetail because of the speed at which they tend to jump the string or duck. The site has a feature for that. Yeah, it does. We call that bow profiles and, but it's, it's, it's so much more improved. It's not improved over the, the old a one and a one I, but let me, let me back up. A one did not have a bow profile. So a one, I had bow profiles. A one, I pro has that, but when you combine that with the auto cow feature, like you can set these up so much faster than you could in the past. And so, um, basically if, if you don't know how auto cow works, what we're going to have you do is you're going to put the side on your bow and you're going to set where you want your 20 yard pin to be. And that we typically want you to put that higher in the housing so you can get more range. And that pin usually is supposed to line up with the reticle. doesn't have to, but typically Reticle and your 20 yard pin are the same thing. Those are what align to do the ranging. <laughs> so you'll set the 20 yard pin using elevation windage and, and A1I Pro has got micro adjust and the attachable dovetail now and easy to take on and off the bow if you need to. Easy to take off the Hoyt bows with the Picatinny because you can just loosen one screw and it comes off. So you can pack it, it's easier to transport, all those good things. Um, so you got your 20 pin set and then you're going to align with what we call uh, reticle alignment vertical and reticle alignment horizontal. It's two knobs. They're also micro adjustable. Mm-hmm. And that will then align the housing that which lines up your reticle. So now you're all lined up with your um, your eye, the pin, and the reticle are in line. And, that, and so we're, now we're mechanically set, if you will. After that, all you have to do is tell the site, like, this is my speed and this is my draw length. And if you give us your sight length and your sight height coming off of your arrow, that's helpful. But from there, we can we can pretty accurately predict your entire pin stack from that point. But you know, we do require the validation out past 40 will really help us lock it in. So you're gonna say, uh, I'm shooting 282 and my sight height is you know inch and a half above my arrow and my sight length is whatever, six inches or something off the front of the bow. And then we're going to predict a pin for you based off our ballistic um, algorithms that we have. And then you're going to shoot that 
at whatever distance beyond 40 and you're going to tell us, Hey, it was dead on or, Hey, I missed high or low. And by how many inches we make an adjustment and then you're basically good to go. So getting set up is that fast. So, so I've just bought a pro or any one of the Garmin sites and I'm setting it up. I'm in my yard. I don't have access to a chronograph. I don't know what speed I'm shooting. I'm going through this setup process and it gets me to that point where if I don't know my speed, is there a good number to plug in? Do I leave it blank? Because if I've got a smaller target, I don't want to jump from 20 to 50 or 60 or 65. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm throwing arrows in the dirt. Yep. What is, what's your recommendation for going through that setup and installation process if I don't have an arrow speed? I think we defaulted to 280. And if you just accept that default, I think we'd put you on target at 40, unless you're just grossly off from that. Like now, if you're shooting a, you know, 80 pound limbs and your 30 inch draw, like, you know, you're still going to, you're not going to, your arrow's not going to drop that much. You're probably going to be fine. But if you're shooting 40 or 50 pound limbs and you're 25 or 26, like, I would hope you'd have a big enough target where you can still hit it at 40. But if you just guess your speed and, and you don't, um, no, don't brag, I guess, at how fast it is, you know, underestimate a little bit will keep you safer. Um, and then you'll just back up and shoot that 40. And if it's good and you want to validate at a further distance because you want like your, maybe you want 70 and 80 to really be spot on, like you could back up and you could validate it. 60 or 70, you just renew the validation. It's literally just one arrow. Tell us, as long as that's a good arrow, right? You have to basically accurately shoot it. Um, And then tell us high or low by how much and we'll readjust your stack. Um, If you're the type that wants to control everything, like you can auto-cal your profile and then you can start adding manual calibrations. At that point, that auto-cal pin stack becomes a manual calibration that you own every detail of it. So we basically say, this belongs to you. We're not going to touch it. You just tell us where your 60 hits and where your 70 hits and, and we'll leave it at that. Gotcha. So, so even once you have that pin stack done, you can go in and go, okay, my 30 seems like it's just a hair off and, and individually do each one of those pins in a manual setting. Yeah. If you wanted to, but you won't need to, like most people that are running the auto cal, like it's it's that good, you know, especially if you want to be, if you want to be a, if you're a, 20 through 50 shooter. If you validate at 40, you'll be good to go there. If you want to get out 70 or 80, you should probably validate out just a little bit farther because, you know, whether or not you're shooting, you know, micro diameter arrows, you're, you know, really high profile veins or a three fletch versus four fletch, like those affect the drag. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, lets us dial it in specifically to the projectile you're shooting. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I would say the, thing that's probably more inaccurate than the site because once you validate a stack i found it's very accurate but archer to archer i bet they're not aligning their peep the same every time if they're having an issue with it that's my experience like if you're not centering your site housing inside of that peep it'll throw inaccuracies into it right and it's not the site it's your ability to make a good shot at that distance that which goes into did you really pay attention to when you set it up and set that reticle? Cause it's right there. You're telling me that you torqued, which is why we're not setting up into it correctly and something's off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is kind of a long answer, Evan, for you asking me about bow profiles, but I had to start with that. So 
you got your site mechanically locked down. You got an AutoCAD profile that's hidden. And now you say, okay, I want to run a heavier arrow or, hey, I just want to, my broadheads are a little bit bigger and they're going to drag a little bit more. I want to make sure I'm accurate out to 70 or 80. At that point, you just create, go in and electronically create a new profile. And the site does not move at this point, like because you're mechanically locked in for your first profile. Basically, you're just going to get what you get out of the second one, which means maybe your 20 pin matches the same 20 that you had for the first profile, or maybe it's a little bit lower or a little bit higher. It'll be pretty close. And then, you know, you'll see the same process. You're like, okay, I'm going to site in a pin at 20. I'm going to tell the site where it is in the stack. And then I'm going to tell it my speed. And then I'm going to back up and validate at 40 or beyond. And now I've got two profiles I can switch between quickly and easily whenever I want. And then as we talked about earlier, if you do XD mode where you're actually moving to get more distance out of one profile or the other, it will affect the other profile as well. And when you're in XD mode, we tell you like, hey, you know, you're in XD mode. So if for some reason you move your site down a whole bunch and you range something at 20, 20 yards and it's actually above the window, like we'll tell you like this pin isn't available to you because it's, it's above this window that we can show you. Interesting. It's got all the smarts built in. Takes yeah, takes the guesswork out of it. Yeah. So, so one of the setup options um, in the site when you go into the main menu, you have basically your, your hunt mode, your arrow profile where you can do all your your pin changing, um, and then another one is called zero locations. Talk to me about zero locations and. The, the features that go along with that. Yeah, sure. So zero locations, um, the, what the site does is every time you range, it records that range and it saves, I think, the last 10. And it has a compass in it, so it knows the heading of the direction that you ranged. So we know distance, we know heading, and we also know the angle at which you ranged. And so we can basically, we don't know where you are on the earth, but we know if we knew where you were on the earth, where that spot was that you ranged. So what zero locations does is if you've got one of our wearables like a Phoenix or a tactics or a, a instinct and you've got, or a handheld, you can basically transmit that data over to your watch and your watch can create that waypoint in space for you. Because now with the watch, we know where we have the GPS to know where you're at on the earth. So we can say, Oh, from this position, you ranged, 278 degrees, uh, 86 yards at a five degree decline. We know where that spot is. We can create that waypoint for you. So, you know, for so, whatever reason, things look different from a distance. You so have you, that marker. So it's going to walk you directly to where that animal was standing at when you ranged and shot. Correct. That's a good way to start a blood trail process. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be. So it, like I said, it's, it's going to keep, keep track of all the ranges that you did. And we know if there's the shot that happened with the range because we have a shot counter. We detect shots, right? So we'll, when you go into that list, it'll say, well, this was 86 yards and this was a shot. But, you know, we can range sometimes out past 200 yards to reflective targets or like, you know, trees and things that have a little bit of sheen to them. They'll transmit the energy back. So let's say you, you take this shot bull runs off into the, into the woods or whatever. You're able to range like other places that you saw him. And we, we track those as well. You can also send those. So you could basically say, well, I'm going to create a waypoint for where this bull was standing. 
I'm also going to create a waypoint for where I saw him run into cover. And now you've got, you know, two pieces of, of, of evidence, if you will, to, to help you with the search and recovery. That's awesome. Dan, are you wearing a Phoenix or any other wearables? I am. I've used that feature a little bit. I've shot one animal where I didn't really need to use it, but I played with it and it, it was right on. It was walked me right to where that, that animal was standing when the shot was fired. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Going back to the, uh, the auto cow, I was going to touch on, uh, Mike Boyer there. He had, uh, ping me a few months back did he have like a, a shoulder issue or something because he was he wrote me a note to like kind of thank me for the auto cow and how well it worked because as he was working his way back through uh, recovery or re- <laughs> sounds terrible rehab yeah. <laughs> rehabbing the shoulder yeah, uh, yeah. an archer's yeah. rehab and he was able to basically you know he's keeping increasing the poundage on his limbs but it's so easy for him to have a bow that's still dialed out to like longer distances that he can shoot as he's working his way back to, to full, full strength. Uh, he was just really impressed by that, that you can do that with the site. So, yeah. Another example of that is actually Kevin, another engineer here. He just was setting up a new bow and he set it up. He got the bow yesterday and set it up. He's hunting with it today because he goes, I never would have tried this with the traditional site. It's just too much to sight in all those pins. Didn't have the time, mm-hmm. but he was able to go get this thing auto calibrate and dialed in. Now we have chronographs and all that, and we know all the measurements that you need. But it's easy to set up. It's like get a bow set up, get it paper tuned, go sight in one pin and give it some information, and you're ready to go. <laughs> so, yeah, there's no. I mean, print sight tapes and trying them out, and then you know throwing them away, and I need to tweak this or that like that you know, to us, that's a, that's a thing of the past, you know, they yep. want to make it easy. And if you get up on the, if you get up on the mountain and, and you're losing confidence, like, you know, I think I, I truly believe like air pressure makes a difference in how arrows fly, especially if there's a big difference and you guys may not see it because you work at elevation compared to Kansas and, and then you go up into elevation, but it's not that drastic change, but I came out to shoot tack in summer of 2018 and I sighted my bow. I mean, I was, I was in the best shooting form ever because I wanted to, to really impress <laughs> at that event. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm hitting at a hundred yards every day, all day, you know, I'm not even practicing 40 that much cause I can hit it so well. And I show up first targets, 40 yards. I sail it like 18 inches over this, over this targets back. And I mean, I wasn't that nervous and you know, everything, like I said, reticles lined up, everything's looking good. I think it was just, you know, the eight, 9,000 feet of elevation difference between Kansas and, and Utah, like my arrows just sailed out there. Yeah, so. And that's, and that's one thing I know a lot of guys don't take into account. Um, I've had a buddy come in from Arizona and we parked at a trailhead at 10, three and I pulled a target out and shot and I was coming from Colorado Springs. I was good. He was 15 inches off. And probably high, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yep. So, so this would allow you to just hit a recalibration real quick and make a few little instrumental changes in the information in your site and boom, you're right back out and doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So we've also got, you know, our cut charts in there. So we, you know, with the, 
with the inclinometer, we know the angle. And so, you know, we're going to give you the pin for the, for the horizontal distance to the target, um, you know, which a lot of people sometimes have to calculate in their mind or they just kind of have a, you know, a crude method that they use. But, you know, the other thing we do, we have short range pins, right. Which not a lot of people practice that, but, you know, in the white tailed woods, for example, like sometimes animals are right below you and they're, they're five steps away. And so at that point, you're not shooting the, the five yard pin is the 50 or 60 yard pin. And so we know that and we take that into, you know, consideration and calculate it and you have that confidence to take the shot. Yeah. I've uh chat. I've used that short pin feature. One, one instance on a whitetail that came in fast. He was like directly under my stand. And, you know, when they get directly under you like that, that the kill zone gets kind of small because, you know, if you're tall, you can shoot over top of the vitals. If you're low, you can shoot, you know, under the vitals because you're kind of aiming at their back, but that thing you can hit a, an arrow diameter type, you know, mark at those short yardages. It works well. And then the other way that I use those is, you know, I'm trying out something new here, but I'm shooting the same bow, but like maybe it's a new rest or whatever, or a new arrow. And I retune my arrow by moving my rest or whatever I will, if my velocity didn't change, I'll recite in, in the lab at like six yards until I'm hitting that hole. And then when I go back out to the range, it's on, uh, you know, so I use it as a indoor side in feature when I don't have the ability to go to the range, I can set something up in my garage or in the lab and re move the site because I've moved my rest up, down, left, and right until I'm hitting that dot again. And it speeds up the side in process. It works well for that. Oh yeah. That's cool. That's that reading experience coming into play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cause I remember, I think it was 2018. That was the first, first gen when you guys had it out, Daniel, we were shooting reading together and you had it out there. Yep. Yeah. It worked well for that as I, I used to use the manual range. Well, I take it back the first year. I didn't know the manual range was available. Jeremy didn't tell me that until I got it back home. <laughs> so <laughs> he wanted you to I was, look for it. Well, I was ranging each target and then letting down, let and down. Resting, and then shooting because, you know, just at that tournament, uh, the next time I shot it, I used the range finder and just dialed in just so that you don't spend the time ranging at a tournament like that. You're just pulling up and executing on a clean sight pin. So yeah, go from. 70 draws to 140 real quick it adds up on a weekend yeah yep yeah. so i really like the manual feature that it works great for me cool nice yeah. nice I've, to back up to what chad was saying about the short pins there was a there was a pretty good story that happened with one of our guys last year he was targeting a 200 inch whitetail here and uh the, the here in missouri right uh this was in kansas actually and he actually, <laughs> those don't exist in Kansas. That must be on the Missouri side. <laughs> Close to Missouri, I should say. But he had he had it at thirty four yards, but it was a it was just a bit on um, head on shot, so he didn't take it. That thing snuck in at ten yards, and he took a it was like a six yard shot. I want to say with like a negative forty eight or something like that. That's a steep angle. Yeah, and the thing that I found like so like. 
I always find it interesting how different people relate to the zero. And one of the ways that Sorry, it's like he had just used that site so much in that on so many different things. He had that confidence and knew that because that's not a shot you can realistically, you know, practice that it would would actually perform. And it did. And I mean, I think he tracked it 200 yards and found it the next, you know, found it and recovered it. But that's a tough shot. But he just had that confidence in it. And yeah. Yeah. Those really short ones like that are a lot harder than people think because it's the arrow is changing with each yard so much on how far below the site line of sight that it is until it hits the crossover point. So I had a similar thing. I would think I was in the 40 degree range and shot a six yard shot on a white tail. And I watched him go down because it just right where that pin was where it hit him. So well, and, and anyone who's done any kind of outdoor target stuff and has shot Reading butterflies or something like that. Like, like you mentioned, Daniel, yards count there. If feet, like six feet away from you versus eight feet away from you, is huge. I mean, that could be twelve yards on a on a site. Yeah. So, but what? Uh, I think another big question I get too is it just it looks big, it looks bulky. Compare it to some other sites on the market because it it looks like that because you have the battery pack up front, but it really it really doesn't seem that heavy to me. What what kind of weight are we talking about? Yes, yeah, so I think the the A one and A one I are like fourteen ounces, and then the A one I Pro with our dovetail is like eighteen. So when you shoot the Hoyt version with the Picatinny, you're going to drop some, probably going to drop an ounce or two off of that. I, it's really not bad. And I'm not trying to say that to like, you know, cause 18 ounces, if you do the math, that's a little over a pound, but it just doesn't feel like that. It's balanced on a bow. Um, and I've never had somebody pick it up and they always say, Oh, I thought it was going to be heavier than that. You know, mm-hmm. it just doesn't, it doesn't feel heavy on your bow. Cause you, cause you guys are using, a molded type material on a lot of the housing and, and everything up front, but the durability is incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's, if it, like I said, at the beginning of the, of the podcast, like if it says Garmin, like it, it's going to, it's going to hold up, you know, and we're going to stand behind our products and, and we're archers too. Right. So we're, we have the luxury of, you know, you know, picking shooting some of the best bows in the world and, and using, you know, great equipment. Like we're going to use, you know, what we want to use and, you know, everybody here, you know, chooses to shoot our site because, you know, we feel it gives us the best opportunity and the best advantage to, to make it count. So last little bit, cause I know everyone's kind of got a, a time schedule going on legalities. I know there's a couple states that have some specifics around the use of electronics or range finding devices attached to your bow. Do you guys anywhere on your website have, have you guys done the research as far as what states do or don't allow or times of the year or anything like that? Is that available on your website? We don't post that just because it would be so hard to keep up with that. It's such a dynamic landscape, but you know, what I can tell you is, you know, since we've launched, like we've like Florida was illegal when we launched and now they've allowed the use of electronic sites. Um, You're typically, you know, the ones that that come to mind are uh, Washington, Oregon, 
Idaho, Montana, both Dakotas and Colorado. So, you know, Utah, Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, you know, and then pretty much anywhere uh, east of the Mississippi, it's legal. Good to go. And that's for big game. And so if you take Alaska, for example, like you can use electronic sites during uh, general weapons season. So like when rifle is, is legal, you can also use our site. So there's a lot of guys that take it up there and you know, use it for caribou and that kind of thing. But okay. we really, we really want to stress, like it's the, it's on the hunter to understand their state's regulations, what they're going to be hunting and to understand if the site's legal or not, because, you know, things change and circumstances change. I know that like heard somebody, you know, hunting on a reservation in South Dakota, you, it is legal there. Um, so, you know, they, at least it was for that particular hunt. So it's just so hard to, to track that down. I wouldn't want to give anybody the wrong information. So. Oh, oh that's perfect. So awesome. Well, I hope, I hope everybody got some questions answered. Daniel, Chad, Rehan, do you guys have anything else as far as, you know, is there any other features that really stand out to you that you see the benefit to the archers? You think we got everything covered? I think we did a good overview on the, on the site. Uh, I want to say, you know, big thanks to Daniel for being like zero OG. You know, he, he took it upon himself to adopt some new technology, um, you know, back before I ever knew who he was. And, you know, I met him at 2020 ATA and he's like, man, you made archery like so much fun for me. I really appreciate what you guys did. And like, that was just a huge like moment to where to be thanked for, you know, by an industry leader and, you know, what you guys do to say like, Hey, we believe in this tech and this makes us a better archer. So. Yeah, it, it, like I said, I, it's the number one thing that's helped improve my shooting since I've been in this industry and I've been here at Hoyt 18 years now. And it's just there. It's all the little things. It's like the reticle alignment made me a better shooter. It points out when your form is changing and most archers are convinced that they're not changing. They're doing the same thing every time. And they have no idea how much they're actually torquing the bow. You know, and we get a lot of that. We get, we get bows sent to us that, Hey, this bow won't tune, you know, and you pick it up and you tune it and it's, it's, they just don't know they're torquing the bow. And so this is a tool that improves every archer that uses it. Um, and frankly, I, I hope more States adopt it going back to that question, because I think, um, I've heard arguments that it's going to make people take shots they shouldn't, and I completely disagree. It makes them take better shots because it tells you when you are executing a good shot. And I think the success rate of finding animals that you shoot with a bow would go up dramatically with the use of the Garmin site. So I'm hopeful that more states will adopt it. I, I had to switch mine out for an Idaho elk hunt. I killed a bull with a traditional site, and it wasn't as much fun. <laughs> It just, I can do it, but it, it's just seeing all those pins in the way now is once I've been shooting this thing since it came out, it's like, it's no fun to shoot a fixed pin site anymore. It's, it's just not as clean of a site picture and not nearly as many features. So I love to hear it, man. Well, it's great guys. Hey, we definitely appreciate your time. Um, where can we find your guys' social media? If guys want to kind of, learn more about the site and and again go and do that research dive do you have youtube um social media what's the website where can they go to find out more information well we got garmin.com 
can just type, you can just search for zero X E R O and you can get information that way. You can uh, follow us on Garmin fish and hunt on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Rayon, you got any others? We're no, that's it. Garmin fish hunt is going to be kind of the social channels that we're going to want to follow, you know, on, uh, there's a lot of a reviews, B uh, kind of instructional videos on YouTube too, for those kind of curious about how to set it up. Um, and you did a great one. Um, so I'd say check it out there. Awesome. Thanks guys. Appreciate your time. And, uh, I know you guys need to be getting out of the office at your opening dove today. So sorry, we kept you from some of that, but <laughs> you just saved me a box of shells. You can get them. <laughs> guys, thank you so much. Really yeah. Thanks it. again. Yeah. yeah thanks guys. Fun.